Assistance VOA News. Reporting by remote, I'm Richard Green. The director of the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation had strong words Wednesday for supporters of former President Donald Trump who had been using violent rhetoric in the wake of his agency search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. Any threats made against law enforcement, including the men and women of the FBI, uh, as with any law enforcement agency, are, are deplorable and dangerous. Christopher Ray declined to answer questions about the hours-long search Monday of Trump's Palm Beach, Florida resort. The search of Trump's residence Monday is part of an investigation into whether Trump took classified records from the White House to his Florida residence after he left the White House, according to people familiar with the matter. Days after U.S. authorities carried out a search warrant on his home, Trump invoked his constitutional rights against self-incrimination during an hours-long deposition in a New York civil investigation of his business dealings. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports. After arriving at the state attorney general's Manhattan offices, Trump cited the Fifth Amendment in saying he declined to answer questions under oath. The attorney general has said there is significant evidence Trump's company misled lenders and tax authorities about the value of assets like golf courses, which the ex-president denies, calling it a witch hunt. While he's defended himself publicly, legal experts had said answering questions under oath would be risky because anything Trump said could potentially be used in a parallel criminal probe by Manhattan's top prosecutor. Trump spent more than six hours at the office before leaving. Sagar Magani, Washington. Authorities in Mali have declared three days of national mourning to begin Thursday after a pair of weekend attacks killed dozens of soldiers and police officers. This is VOA News. The Malian military says 42 soldiers died in a dramatic assault on forces in the northern region. Authorities say the extremists used drones, artillery, and booby-trapped vehicles in Sunday's attack. The same day in southern Mali, other extremists attacked a police station, killing five officers. The attack on the station near the border with Burkina Faso was later claimed by militants with the Al-Qaeda-linked group. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Wednesday said he was concerned about reports of the detention of an opposition political leader in Congo. On the second day of his visit to the Central African nation, Blinken said his delegation was trying to get more facts about the opposition figure's detention, which he said had happened in the last 24 hours. Blinken said his delegation had raised the issue with Congo's government, and he called it a possible setback in establishing the right environment for elections. We don't have to tell you this. It's been... We have full respect for the, uh, the laws of the DRC, but uh, we are concerned about any steps taken that could actually uh, reduce the political space, um, especially as the country heads into elections, so it's something that, that we'll be looking at. The Secretary of State was speaking at an event promoting dem democracy in Congo's capital as part of his three-nation African tour. China is angry about a new U.S. law. AP correspondent Rita Foley reports. We don't have to tell you this. It's been harder to get some cars, phones, and many other things since the pandemic. Blame the disruption in chip supplies. Well, this week, President Biden signed into law a promise of billions in grants and other help for those who invest in U.S. chip factories. Now China is angry calling it an attack on Chinese businesses and a threat to trade. The world relies on ships from Taiwan, which China claims as its territory, and factories in China assemble most electronic devices. 
Adding to the fears that things may get worse instead of better, worries about China's threats to attack Taiwan. I'm Rita Foley. Recapping our top story, the director of the FBI has strong words for supporters of former U.S. President Donald Trump who had been using violent rhetoric in the wake of his agency search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. Christopher Ray says threats circulating online against federal agents and the Justice Department are deplorable and dangerous. He declined to answer questions about the hours-long search Monday of Trump's Palm Beach, Florida resort. The search of Trump's residence Monday is part of an investigation into whether Trump took classified records from the White House to his Florida residence. Reporting via remote, I'm Richard Green for VOA News. Today is Thursday, August 11th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedorfo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, the U.S. reaffirms support for Ukraine and allies as Russia's invasion grinds on. We'll do this for as long as it takes. As I talk to ministers of defense, not only in NATO, but in other parts of the globe, they have the same outlook. They are committed to helping Ukraine, who have fought a valiant fight today. U.S. House Speaker calls China's provocative drills of Taiwan's coast, quote, a new normal, unquote. We didn't go there to talk about China. We went there to praise Taiwan. We went there to show our friendship, to say China cannot isolate Taiwan. And former President Donald Trump invokes the Fifth Amendment in a New York civil probe into his business dealings. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said on Wednesday in Riga that Washington will keep working closely with NATO allies to support Ukraine and neighboring countries as Russia continues to attack from multiple fronts. The U.S. announced increasing troops deployment across Europe both before and after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This, as Russia's defense ministry said on Wednesday, that its forces destroyed a German-supplied Gepard anti-aircraft system in use by Ukrainian forces in the Mykolaiv region. In his daily briefing, the defense ministry said also it shot down three Ukrainian warplanes in the region, as well as seven high-mass missiles in the neighboring Kashan region. While analysts doubt Moscow's claims, others are wondering about the vulnerability of the high-mass, which Kiev heavily relies on as it battles Russia's forces on multiple fronts. For more, I spoke with VOA's Pentagon correspondent, Kalabab. Pentagon has been very transparent in the number of HIMARS. Those are those high-mobility artillery rocket systems that they've provided the Ukrainians. They have 16 of those. And if they were being taken out, then the United States would not continue to provide ammunition like it's currently doing. We just saw this week the largest package to date drawing down some of the Pentagon's stockpiles of weapons to send to Ukraine. A billion dollars in security assistance for Ukraine. And in what they released to the public that's included in this package is the munitions for those high mobility artillery rocket systems. Specifically, they are sending a steady stream of Gimlers. Gimlers are a Lockheed Martin precision munition that can be fired from the HIMARS and also 
from these other systems, the NLRS M270 family. And those are like HIMARS, but they've been provided by the British forces. And so clearly, if there was a problem with the actual vehicle, the HIMARS system being taken out, then they wouldn't have a need for all of these munitions and missiles to be launched from them. So clearly the Pentagon is making a statement here saying that that the Russians are not taking out these HIMARS. They, in fact, said this week that there are still 16 HIMARS that the Ukrainians possess and that they've been using them very effectively. On the recent delivery of munitions and arms to Ukraine, analysts are saying it cuts both ways. Either the Pentagon is encouraged by what the Ukrainians are doing with what they have and they're supplying more, or that there's some kind of fear that the Ukrainians are losing ground and the Pentagon is trying to shore up the Ukrainian defenses. What are you hearing? Clearly from the Pentagon, it's the message that the Ukrainians are doing a very good job with what they have. That's not to say that it could not cut both ways. There are concerns that Ukraine cannot lose this war. Russia is fighting against a sovereign nation. They invaded a sovereign nation and many in the West, not just the United States, not just the Pentagon, feel that Ukraine has to win this. And the problem with that is Ukraine is a much smaller military than Russia. So they're up against a much bigger force. So they need as much help as they possibly can get. So if anything, this is a signal to the world that what the United States has been supplying so far has been working and that they want to do more as they can when they can. Because remember, there's no point in throwing in all of these weapons when Ukraine's not ready to take them. That's VOA Pentagon correspondent Kyla Bob speaking with me from Washington, D.C. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters on Wednesday that China's military drills, threats, and cutting some bilateral cooperation in reaction to U.S. lawmakers visiting Taiwan is an attempt to establish, quote, a new normal, unquote, in the Taiwan Strait. This story from VOA's chief national correspondent Steve Herman in Washington. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the delegation of congressional members that she led to Taiwan was intended as a salute to a thriving democracy, and China should not have taken offense. We didn't go there to talk about China. We went there to praise Taiwan. We went there to show our friendship, to say China cannot isolate Taiwan. Chinese President Xi Jinping's attempt to drive a wedge between Taipei and Washington backfired, said House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Gregory Meeks. He noted that instead, China's provocations have resulted in a greater closeness between Taiwan and the United States. The House of Representatives, led by the Speaker of the House, gave Xi a message that he's not going to dictate to us on what we do and what we don't do. Congressman Raja Krishnamurti told reporters Beijing's response was an attempt to distract from problems inside China, and he is now glad to see the Chinese live-fire military exercises subsiding. China's Communist Party considers Taiwan a rogue province that must be reunited with the mainland. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. Mali's Mediterranean government has received several fighter jets and helicopters from Russia, which has become a close and controversial ally in its fight against Islamic militants. Annie Reisenberg reports from Bamako, Mali. The aircraft were handed over during a ceremony at Bamako's airport, with Malian President Asimi Guita and Russian Ambassador Igor Gromyko present. Photos of the aircraft were posted to the official presidential Twitter page, with Russian state media RIA saying the delivery consists of Sukhoi Su-25 fighter jets, L-39 Albatross jets, and attack helicopters. Malian Defense Minister Sadio Kamara said in a speech on Malian state TV channel ORTM that an even larger number of aircraft were delivered. 
Here we are just showing a part of what was delivered, he says. The rest, of course, are being engaged in operations at the moment that the ceremony is being held. Mali has been fighting an Islamist insurgency for the past decade, since Islamists took over northern Mali in 2012. Control of Malian territory was regained after France intervened in 2013, but attacks and fighting have continued in the years since, with 2022 already one of the deadliest years on record in the conflict. In the most recent incident, Islamist fighters attacked a Malian army base in the northern town of Tesset on Sunday, with the army saying in a press release that 17 soldiers and four civilians were killed in the attack. Violence has also increased in central and southern Mali. 132 civilians were murdered in a massacre blamed on Islamist militants in June in the central Mopti region, and several attacks have occurred in Mali's southern regions in recent months, with Islamists attacking Mali's main military town, Kati, just 15 kilometers north of Bamako, in July. The French army is in the final stages of withdrawing from Mali after French President Emmanuel Macron announced the withdrawal of forces in February, following increasing tensions with Mali's military government and concerns over Mali working with Russian mercenaries. Mali's military government continually denied claims it works with mercenaries, saying it only works with Russian instructors. Several governments have accused Mali of working with mercenaries from the Wagner Group, a Russian private military company. In March, Human Rights Watch released a report in which several residents of Mora attested to witnessing mercenaries committing extrajudicial killings and human rights abuses with the Malian army over a period of five days. Mali also received two Russian helicopters in April and four helicopters as well as weapons in September of last year. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. Kenya was calm Wednesday as the nation awaited results from the country's presidential election. The Electoral Commission says Kenyans will have to wait a few more days to know their next president as the Electoral Agency checks and tabulates more than 46,000 official result forms across the country. Mohamed Yusuf reports. Kenyan media outlets reported that current Deputy President William Ruto holds a slim lead over former Prime Minister Raila Odinga in the early results from Tuesday's presidential election. But there were still millions of votes to be counted and the country's electoral commission said a final result is still days away. The Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission said it has to follow electoral rules and the constitution before announcing the winner. The chair of the commission, Wafula Chebukati, urged Kenyans to be patient as vote counting continues. So all these processes must be done, and after all that, then we shall declare the president-elect or give the way forward of the results for the presidential election. The issue of saying that we should declare results today, that will not happen today. We have seven days to do that, but uh, as a national returning officer, I'm assuring you that we shall do everything possible to have this process concluded at the earliest possible time. To win the presidential race, a candidate must receive more than 50% of the vote and 25% at least in 24 counties out of the country's 47. If no candidate meets that goal, the Electoral Commission will schedule a runoff vote. The Commission said that 22 hours after polling stations closed, they had yet to receive all the physical forms used to tabulate the election results. The Commission must go through more than 46,000 forms before making the final result. Jabukati said, despite the slow delivery of forms, the ones uploaded to the Electoral Commission website are final. As a commission, we have been very clear. We are saying this is a transparent 
process. Anybody can log in on the public portal. We have made it available to presidential agents, candidates, the media. You can log in and verify what's there. And the only assurance we are making is that the information in the public portal is the same, inf- the same results. The results in the public portal are the same results that the commission will use to complete this process. The Electoral Commission said about 14 million of Kenya's 22 million registered voters cast ballot on Tuesday. The voter turnout rate of about 65% was significantly lower than in Kenya's last presidential election in 2017, where about 80% voted. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Thank you, Mohamed. And translation language learning giants like Google and Duolingo are expanding language databases available online in a push to widen representation and reduce bias in artificial intelligence systems. Residents in countries like Uganda, where the native tongue Luganda is not taught in schools, say adding their languages to more platforms could be a game-changer. Louisa Nags of Reuters has more. Kampala resident Hussein Bamal is originally from India. He has fought a lifelong battle to understand Luganda, Uganda's official language. Despite being spoken by millions, Uganda is not taught in schools. Barmal says he has struggled to find resources to study the language he hears on street corners. But now, his struggles may be over. Luganda was one of 24 languages added to Google Translate last month. Hello, my name is Hussein. Barmal says the announcement filled him with excitement. It was exciting for me because as I, I finally now know that there's a translator app available. Yes, we have uh, Luganda dictionaries um, in, in bookshops and, and things like that, but there are very few resources on the internet. So there are some Luganda, transla- um, Luganda handbooks and l- some material, very, very, very little material online to learn Luganda, but there's not a proper translation app or service which we can use. So that, that's amazing. The new batch includes 10 sub-Saharan African languages, bringing the number of African languages on the profile to 23. Ugandan IT student Andrew Njuki spent his childhood hunched over English language textbooks and grappling with material that would have been easier to grasp in his mother tongue. He says the instant translations available on his phone will help bridge that gap. I think it is a great opportunity for us and for students like me, I think it's really good because for anyone to understand something better, you need to first understand it in your mother tongue and then you can get it better. And the trend is spreading. Translation and language learning giants like Google and Duolingo have joined non-profit-led efforts to expand language databases available online. Duolingo, which currently offers eight underrepresented languages out of 40, is working to add Zulu and Kosa, spoken by 20 million people, mainly in South Africa, later this year. That's Louisa Nax of Reuters. In other news, former President Donald Trump says he invoked the Fifth Amendment and would not answer questions on the oath in the long-running New York civil investigation into his business dealing. Trump arrived Wednesday morning at the offices of New York Attorney General Letitia James, but he sent out a statement more than an hour later saying he declined to answer the questions under, in his words, the rights and privileges afforded to every citizen under the United States Constitution, unquote. 
Anything he said during the deposition could have been used against him in a criminal case if one ensues. While James's investigation is civil in nature, the Manhattan District Attorney is running a parallel criminal probe. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You're listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinerofo in Washington. The World Meteorological Organization, or WMO, reports the month of July was one of the three warmest on record globally. This despite a weak La Nina event, which is supposed to have a cooling influence. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Meteorologists warn the heat wave that swept through large parts of Europe last month is set to continue in August. They note July was drier than average in much of Europe, badly affecting local economies and agriculture, as well as increasing the risk of wildfires. WMO spokeswoman Claire Nellis says Britain's Met Office has issued another advisory warning of a heat buildup throughout this week. However, she says temperatures are not expected to reach the extreme record-setting temperatures of more than 40 degrees Celsius seen in July. But it is well above average. Uh, temperatures in France this week well above average in Switzerland, many parts of Switzerland well above uh, well above average. Um, and as I said, continuing the trend that we saw in, in July, um, Spain saw its hottest ever month in July. So not just the hottest July, it was the hottest ever month on, on, on record. Nulla says Europe and other parts of the world will have to get used to and adapt to the kind of heat wave WMO Secretary General Petter Italis calls the new normal. While Europe was sweltering under extreme heat in July, WMO reports Antarctic sea ice reached its lowest July level on record. This follows a record low sea ice level in June. While Europe saw a lot of heat in July, Nellis notes big chunks of the Antarctic did as well. It's important to bear in mind um, there is quite big sort of monthly and year-to-year variability in Antarctica. So the fact that it was, you know, the lowest on record in June and in July doesn't mean necessarily that this is a long-term irreversible trend. WMO reports the long-lasting drought in parts of Europe also is set to continue. It warns below normal precipitation in many parts of Europe will cause or worsen drought conditions and likely trigger more forest fires. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. The number of people displaced by a record-breaking drought in Somalia has topped 1 million, with the United Nations warning of widespread famine if emergency needs are not met soon. Mohamed Dasani reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, said Wednesday that Somalia's worst drought in more than 40 years has displaced a million Somalis. As the drought situation continues to worsen, UN officials said During the month of July, another 83,000 were forced to flee their homes because of the drought, with the worst displacement coming in the Bai, Banadir, and Gedo regions. Shaku Mshalia, Deputy Emergency Coordinator for the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, told VOA on phone Wednesday that the people are migrating in search of food and other assistance. He said the FAO is trying to help to our ability as a humanitarian community 
to be able to reach the affected people in their communities and provide the services that they need so that they remain in their place of origin tied to their livelihood and don't feel pushed to migrate to the urban area in hope of receiving assistance. Unfortunately, in previous droughts, what we've seen is that a lot of the mortality that have been reported were people that unfortunately died on their way to urban areas in search of assistance. This is Science in a Minute. The most accepted theory for the origin of the universe is the Big Bang Theory. According to NASA, the Big Bang is the idea that the universe began as just a single point 13.8 billion years ago, then expanded to grow as large as it is and continues to rapidly expand. Another theory proposed by cosmologists is that the universe had no beginning or ending and expands and contracts in endless cycles. A new study from physicists Will Kinney and Nina Stein at the University at Buffalo suggests even if the universe goes through endless cycles, it still has to have a beginning. Stein says in a university press release that people have many reasons to be curious about the early universe, but her favorite is the natural human tendency to want to know what came before. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next up, August marks one year since the Taliban rolled into Kabul and toppled the U.S.-backed government. I talk with two South Asia experts about the reversal of gains for women and girls under the Taliban's autocratic rule that has precluded diplomatic recognition by much of the West, an important prerequisite to unlock critical financial and technical assistance. The anniversary of the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com. From voanews.com, there you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedua in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. On November 20, 2020, Burma's National League for Democracy Party, or NLD, won an overwhelming majority of votes in the national election. Less than three months later, the Burmese military seized control of Burma's government and detained the country's leaders, including State Councilor Aung San Suu Kyi and President Nguyen Myint, as well as members of their political party. 
The regime launched the coup on February 1, 2021, as the newly elected parliament was preparing for its initial session. The regime used lethal force to suppress protests throughout the country. According to the NGO Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, Burmese security forces killed over 2,000 people and arbitrarily arrested over 14,000. The military also expanded abusive operations in ethnic minority areas, displacing more than 750,000 people. In an attempt to stop the bloodshed, leaders of the nine other ASEAN countries met with Burma's military commander-in-chief, General Min Aung Lang. They prevailed upon him to agree to the five-point consensus by which the Burmese military regime agreed to end the violence in Burma, to hold dialogue among all parties, to accept the appointment of a special envoy, to accept humanitarian assistance by ASEAN, and to allow the special envoy to meet with all parties. Unfortunately, the agreement changed nothing as the military regime has consistently failed to uphold its commitments. It's unfortunately safe to say that we've seen no more positive movement, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We continue to see the repression of the Burmese people. We continue to see violence perpetrated on them by uh, the regime. We continue to see virtually the entire opposition in jail or in exile. And we continue to see a terrible humanitarian situation, exacerbated by the fact that the regime is not delivering what's necessary for the people. We will continue to look for ways that we and other countries can effectively put pressure on the regime to move back to the democratic path, said Secretary Blinken. Regional support for the regime's adherence to the five-point consensus developed by ASEAN is critical. All the ASEAN countries need to continue to demand an immediate cessation of violence, the release of political prisoners, and a restoration of uh, Burma's democratic path. All countries have to continue to speak clearly about what the regime is doing in its ongoing repression and brutality, said Secretary Blinken. We have an obligation to the people of Burma to hold the regime accountable. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 